Hi, this is Chris Date, and you're listening to the The Apologetics Podcast, Episode 20, Faith Healer. Now, I know that I've been promising that the next episode would be an episode on justification by faith alone, but I was presented with an opportunity that I couldn't pass up uh, on a very important topic, that topic being the word of faith. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Justin Peters of Justin Peters Ministries on the topic of the word of faith movement, and I think that you're going to find it very powerful. Now, before we get into that, um, I just wanted to say a few things. First, episode 19 uh, on the calls that I made into Greg's sh- Greg Kokel's show on preterism um, generated a little bit of uh, debate at my blog um, in response to my claim that this generation, as Jesus uh, phrase Jesus used in the Olivet Discourse, always means the contemporary generation of people. Um, an associate of John MacArthur's commented at my blog, which... Um, you know, was was pretty amazing. Um, you know, I don't want to be presumptuous or give anything away. So if you want to check that out, go to my blog at theapologetics.com and click on episode 19, Leave the Past Behind. Um, and you can find that debate. Um, I, I think it might have ended. I haven't seen him back in a little bit. But um, but I, I think that some of the things that we say there are worth taking a look at. Uh, even Dee Dee Warren chimed in at one point. So um, yeah. Uh, also, I'm very excited to announce a, a number of incredible upcoming interviews and episodes. Uh, Lord willing, Friday, this uh, two days from now, I'll be interviewing Joel Grote, Director of Ministries at the Institute for Religious Research on the topic of Mormonism. Um, also, I've got tentative word that uh, Brett Kunkel and or Alan Schliemann from Stand to Reason um, will be appearing on my show in December. Um, of course, I'm still hoping that uh, Greg Kokel, also of Stand to Reason, will have room to appear early next year. Um, I'm also going to be having back uh, my friend David Jarislow to discuss Israel, my friend Mike Felker to dive more deeply into Jehovah's Witness doctrine, and of course I've got my episode on justification by faith alone that I've been promising. So I think that there are a lot of powerful episodes coming up in the near future, again, Lord willing, um, but I hope that you'll stay tuned. Now next up in my promo rotation is the Whole Truth Podcast. Hi, I'm John Harden, host of the Whole Truth Podcast. We invite you to tune in and listen as my co-host John Kirkendall and I discuss and sometimes debate controversial topics from a Christian perspective in an open dialogue format. We also offer several ways for our listeners to get involved, so this is a podcast you can be a part of. Visit us on the web at thewholetruthpodcast.com or search for The Whole Truth at iTunes, the Zoom Marketplace, or other directory. And be sure to subscribe. Do check out The Whole Truth Podcast. You can find them at the website that he just mentioned, uh, thewholetruthpodcast.com. You can also find them in the Zoom Marketplace or in the iTunes Store. You can find them at Facebook as well by searching for The Whole Truth. I look forward to maybe having John Harden on my show to discuss fundamentalism. I think that you'll enjoy their show. Um, I certainly enjoy it, and I hope that you'll check it out. With that, let's move into today's interview.
I'm joined today by my guest, Justin Peters, whose ministry is largely focused on the topic we're going to be discussing today, the Word of Faith movement. Thanks so much for joining me today, Justin. You're welcome, Chris. It's a pleasure to be with you. So I hear you were recently married. How's, how's married life treating you? Oh, it's great. It sure is. Yeah, I got married uh, August 7th, so just a little over three months, and uh, marriage is a, a good thing. It, it really is. I <laughs> recommend it to anyone. So. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Congratulations. Thank uh, you. Thank you. You know, I, I like to first ask my guests about their testimony, and if you don't mind, I'd love it if... Um, if you would share with us how the Christian faith became a real part of your life. Your website says that you were saved at a very early age. Can you tell us about that? I was, Chris. I was um, I was raised in a, a Christian home. Both of my parents are believers. And uh, I think that influence from my parents and also uh, just the, the um, challenges, if you will, I guess, of my cerebral palsy, the Lord used both of those things to lead me to... Um, Salvation at an early age. I was seven years old, actually, when I began inquiring about what it meant to be saved and how it could be forgiven of sin. Because even at that age, I, I had a, um, a convicted conscience about that. My parents took me to my pastor at the time, a man named Dr. John G. McCall. He's actually still pastoring. He's uh, 93 years old now and still pastoring. But, um, he opened up the scriptures, and he went through uh, the Ten Commandments with me. And when he, when he uh, got to the one that said, Thou shalt not lie, I knew I had done that. Mm. And I was convicted of that. And um, and the Lord saved me at, at an early age. I, um, the older I get and the more I study, the more cautious I am with young children uh, making those kinds of decisions because I think we... Uh, uh, you know, a lot of kids do it just because their friends do it and they don't really understand what's going on. But uh, I think the Lord really did save me then. And um, so I praise the Lord for that. I don't have a real dramatic testimony. You know, I was never a drug dealer turned a preacher <laughs> or anything like that. But, uh, but saved nonetheless. Yeah. Well, so later in life, you, you completed a Master's of Theology degree at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and your thesis was focused on one notable ca uh, character within the Word of Faith movement. Um, since then, you've gone on to develop this seminar focusing on the Word of Faith movement, and, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But first, what originally led to your interest in this movement? What, what caused you to develop a passion for teaching others about the nature and dangers of, of Word of Faith teaching? Well, Chris, it happened when I was uh, 16 years old. A neighbor of mine, who still lives right down the street from my parents, came up to me, and he said, Justin, God has spoken to me, and he's told me that he's going to heal you as long as you have enough faith. And at age 16, that really resonated with me because uh, at the time I couldn't drive. When my friends were starting to, to drive, I couldn't play football. You know, I couldn't do all the things that that my friends were doing. I could do all the things that I thought were so important at that age. And so I really latched on to this and uh, I wanted to be healed of my cerebral palsy. He told me about a, a faith healer who was coming to Vicksburg, Mississippi, my hometown, named Nora Lamb. And in the weeks leading up to her arrival, he showed me a lot of scripture that seemed to support his teaching, that it always got will to be healed. But um, at age 16, I didn't know anything about uh, hermeneutics, <laughs> how, mm. how to properly interpret the Bible. And so Isaiah 53, 5, by stripes we are healed. Third John 2, beloved, I pray that all you may prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. 
you know, it seemed, yeah, it seemed to indicate God wants us to be healed. And so um, I went to see Nora Lamb and very much thinking I was going to be healed. I obviously was not healed. I went to see R.W. Shambach and uh, a couple other local people. And, and um, so that is what began my interest in it. And it's, it, it's something that um, at the time, it, it didn't shake my faith in God, but it did make me doubt my own faith because if it's always God's will to be healed and you pray for that healing, you seek it, but it doesn't come, then the question must be asked, whose fault is it? Hmm. And the definition, it can't be God's fault because he's perfect. So guess who's left? Yeah. And uh, I thought it was because I didn't have enough faith or I had some secret, unconfessed sin in my life that I wasn't aware of. And, and uh, so, but the Lord preserved me through that and, and um, slowly over time opened my eyes to the, to the um, unbiblical nature of this movement. And so that, that, uh, those experiences when I was 16, that's what began my interest. Yeah. Well, you, you've touched on it a little bit, but for those listening who might not be familiar, uh, summarize for us what the Word of Faith movement is and is all about, and what, what teachers and ministries within the movement might my listeners recognize. Sure. The, the Word of Faith movement is the proper name given to the uh, movement that's more commonly known as the Health and Wealth Gospel, the name and acclaimant gospel, property, property, prosperity gospel, and um, it's almost everything you see in Christian television. Not quite everything, but the vast majority of it. And it's basically the doctrine that God wants you to be wealthy, and He wants you to be physically healed, never be sick. Or if you do get sick, physical healing is guaranteed as long as you have enough faith. Hmm. Uh, the Word Faith Movement is some of its notable, more prominent leaders are Ben and Ben, uh, on whom I wrote my thesis, Kenneth Copeland. His wife, Gloria Copeland, Clifford Dollar, Jesse Duplantis, Joyce Meyer, uh, Paula White, Joel Osteen, and uh, those are some of your heavy hitters, if you will. Andrew Womack, people like that. Hmm. Now, you've developed a, a three-session seminar critiquing the Word of Faith movement called A Call for Discernment. Where did the idea to create the seminar come from, and, and how did you go about developing it? What's its goal? What's, what's its purpose? Well, I, I began developing it because in, in, when I was in seminary, I was uh, doing research, of course, in the movement, and the Lord even then was giving me opportunities to travel and preach. And as I would do so, say if I was preaching a revival meeting in a church for three, four, five days, I I would usually devote one night's message to addressing this movement. And the response I was getting from people was just overwhelming. I mean, I could, it was really striking the chord with people. And uh, so I was very uh, encouraged by that. But at the same time, I realized that there was no way I could do this issue justice with just a 30-minute message. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I began thinking of ways I could address it more comprehensively. And so through the course of my study, my research for my thesis, I, I began collecting just a lot of information from video clips, and uh, I kind of put this seminar together, the four-session seminar, and uh, that comprehensively addresses the Word of Faith movement from a biblical standpoint. I've got dozens and dozens of video clips of all of these individuals. 
Osteen and Copeland and Joel Osteen, George Knight, all these folks. And so I let people see and hear for themselves what they actually teach. It's not me up there saying, well, then again, the so-and-so, Joel Osteen, and this. You know, I let them see it right out of the horse's own mouth and, and then point by point correct it biblically. Mm. And so I, I did my first seminar in October 2004 at a church in uh, Hamilton, Alabama. And, and since then, the Lord has just opened doors, and I've been doing it full time pretty much since 2005, for about five years now. And I'm um, constantly updating it. I've got I've got video clips in my seminar now um, that are just a couple months old, you know, some of 2010 Unfortunately, there's no shortage of material. Yeah, that is unfortunate. Uh, well, you know, some might wonder, given how much you've dedicated your ministry to this, if some might wonder if you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Just, just how big is this movement, and how are unsuspecting Christians... Uh, unknowingly being exposed to and buying into their teachings, and are they making inroads into churches and denominations which might have previously been opposed to word of faith doctrine? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, this movement is huge, and sadly, the the word of faith movement is the uh, is the face of Christianity in, in much of the world today. It's not only huge in the United States; it's huge in uh, Asia, Central and South America in Europe, and it's enormous in Africa. And so um, it is the face of Christianity. In fact, when most people think of Christianity, if they don't think of Roman Catholicism, which is not Christian, but uh, if they don't think of that, they think of the prosperity gospel, you know, televangelists on TV and that kind of thing. So it's, it's enormous. Yeah. And, and it's not, um, see, a lot of people think that it's just Oh, about healing and Rolex watches, and it's kind of this fringe stuff on TV. But that's not the case. It's it's a lot more serious than that. The Word of Faith movement compromises and at times outright denies some of the fundamental tenets of historical Christianity. Hmm. They have the movement is actually rooted in the metaphysical cult, like Christian Science, New Age, New Thought, Gnosticism, even some Kabbalah elements in it. And so what you have today in the modern prosperity gospel is not really Christian, it's cultic doctrine that has been wrapped in Christian terminology to make it more acceptable to um, you know, unsuspecting people today. And, and they have a, this movement has a different view of the nature of God, a different view of the personal work of Jesus Christ, a different view of the atonement. It really is a different gospel. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that actually answered the next question I was going to ask, which was, um, you know, some, some professing Christians who follow these teachers uh, might, or, or, or don't follow them might consider it just basically Christian but with some flaws. But as you pointed out, um, it's not a legitimate Christian movement just based on a few mistakes here and there. Um, well, you know, you mentioned a couple things I want to dive a little bit more deeply into. Um, you said that there, it, it actually finds its origins in the metaphysical cults. Um, you know, I don't want to, you to give too much away from your seminar, but can you can you tell us a little bit more about this? What what might surprise my listeners when it comes to the origins of the Word of Faith? Sure, it goes back to you can trace it back to Phineas Parkhurst Quimby, uh, a man in the uh, 1800s that, that kind of first began this movement. Mary Baker Eddy uh, claimed that she was healed by Phineas Quimby 
she was so impressed by him that she took his doctor's Quimby was the father of, of New Thought, the metaphysical cult. And, and uh, Baker Eddie was so impressed by Quimby that she took his teachings, developed them a little further, and from that formed what is today known as Christian science, hmm. which is neither Christian nor scientific. <laughs> uh, so, and there's a lot of Christian science overtones in the word of faith business, one of which is the denial of physical symptoms when it comes to illness. Uh, Christian science denies these things. Well, word of faith does too. If you know if any of our listeners have a friend or family member in this movement, you might notice that if they get sick, they deny that they're sick. And so they've got a cold, their eyes are watering, their nose is running, they're sneezing, you know, whole nine yards. But they'll say, oh, no, 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 I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I won't, won't give uh, room to that, I won't, I'm not going to confess that fitness. Well, that's Christian science that has just been adopted by the prosperity gospel. Hmm. Um, this thing called the secret that Oprah Winfrey is so uh, fond of. Oh, yeah. Whenever you speak, if you speak positive things, think about positive things that will happen to you. Uh, you speak bad things, speak negative things, bad things will happen to you. Uh, whatever you concentrate on, you can create your own reality. And um, that is exactly what the Word of Faith moves in. Hmm. It's a kind of positive confession. So it, uh, you know, we could go on and on, but those are some of the, couple of the, the big uh, commonalities between the metaphysical cults and the prosperity gospel. Yeah. Well, in, in, in the first session of your seminar, you talk about the metaphysical cultic origins, and then you go on to um, discuss some of the doctrines which most deviate from the historic Christian faith. And, and you've touched on one of them just a moment ago. Tell us briefly about positive confession and the substance of faith, um, and, and what, in contrast to that, does the Bible actually teach? Yes, the, um, one of the staple doctrines of the Word of Faith movement is their doctrine of positive confession. This is similar to what I just mentioned with the secret. But the faith preachers teach that um, when God created, He created not ex or not out of nothing, but rather God created by speaking faith-filled words. And everything that is in existence is actually made out of faith, the faith in God. And when God spoke, his words were containers. Almost think of like a Tupperware container that you would put spaghetti in. God's <laughs> words were the containers of the substance of faith, of the word of faith. And we as believers can use our own words of faith to speak things into existence to create our own physical reality. And uh, whatever we speak, today, to quote George Meyer, quote, whatever you today is what you'll end up having tomorrow. So we create our own reality with the words that we speak. And um, they take it so far as I've actually heard Copeland say, you should never say, oh, that just tickled me to death. Mm. Because you might kill yourself. <laughs> I mean, it, they literally take it that far. And, and uh, John Hagee teaches this as well. Um, so we create our realities with our words. So so you see, it kind of undermines the sovereignty of God. Uh, they don't really place... Now, they wouldn't admit this in so many words, but when you look at what they teach, their faith is not placed in God. Their faith is in their faith. Yeah. Faith is the object of faith. And if 
instead of faith being placed in God, since God is the object of faith, faith is the object of faith, and faith is a, is a force that you direct at God to make him do what you want him to do. Yeah. And so it's, it's really ironic when you think about it that these people who call, call themselves faith preachers have a, a fundamental misunderstanding of what faith really is. Sure. Um, Gloria Copeland says that she can control the weather. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, she can talk to tornadoes, control the weather, make them go away, control the weather. She says we can do that too. Wow. Uh, where was the um, Hurricane Katrina? Told me in the town. So it's, it's a third, yes, but it's also very dangerous and, and very radical, very black. Yeah. Well, now how about what you call the little gods doctrine? Uh, what, what do teachers within the movement teach about that and, and about the fall? Um, and, and again, what does the Bible teach? Yes. Um, well, I may not have finished it. Uh, with positive confession, of course, I should have said this. Is, uh, the Bible teaches that dealing with positive confession that God is the only one, of course, who puts things into existence and, and he controls those things. He can't uh, speak life and death as the preachers say. But, um, little God, that is uh, a faithful doctrine of the faith movement. They teach that if you are saved, you are, in fact, a little God. Hmm. And all of the faith preachers teach this to one degree or another, but they all teach it. They all, uh, George Meyer does, Russell Dollar does, and Hen does, and Copeland does, all of them, for wasting. So if you are afraid, you are, in fact, a little God. Now, where this comes from, essentially, it goes to their distorted view of the nature of the fall. They teach that when God created Adam, that Adam was an exact duplicate of God. He was not a little like God. He was not a lot like God. He was God. God literally reproduced himself hmm. in Adam. Adam was a carbon copy of Yahweh. And, well, we all know what happened after that, right? Adam sinned, which, of course, begs the question. You know, he saw this out to find conclusion. If Adam was... Yahweh and his sin. Was it Yahweh who sinned? Hmm. You know, you, you carry these things out to a logical conclusion. You see how dark they are. But according to the prosperity preachers, when Adam sinned, he lost his deity, transferred it to Satan. When this happened, the real Yahweh God lost his legal right to planet Earth and was kicked out. So, According to word faith theology, the real Yahweh God is up there somewhere, but he has no access to planet Earth. No access unless he gets our permission. <laughs> he must get our permission to do anything on planet Earth. Wow. And thanks in and Miles Monroe teach that prayer is man giving God permission to interfere in these affairs. And, um, so at any rate, back to the fall, when the, the faith preachers teach that Satan became the legal God of planet Earth, and then, according to posterity theology, when someone gets saved today, guess what they get back? They get their Godhood back. They regain their, their deity. They become God again, just like Adam was before he fell. And that is why the faith preachers hold so tenaciously to health and wealth. Because of God. And a God cannot be poor. A 
God certainly <laughs> cannot be sick. Yeah. And see, that, so when you, when you understand what they teach about the fall, that's when the people start coming together. And that's what so many people don't realize. They don't just have an emphasis on health and wealth because, um, you know, they, they like it. I mean, of course they do, but, but really the emphasis comes from their distorted view of the nature of the fall. They believe that we are God. Yeah. And in that sense, they have a lot in, uh, a lot in common with Mormonism. That's true. And, yeah, and so it's a, yeah, some, some strange, uh, strange bedfellows when you start looking <laughs> at the way to speak There's, there's a commonality between word of faith and Mormonism. There's a commonality between word of faith and Roman Catholicism. So, uh, but yeah, they, they teach that, that we are gods and therefore we can speak our, you know, create our own realities. We should be wealthy. We should never be sick. And um, now, what I say in my seminar that's very important is that the promise of health and wealth is one of the things that makes the movement so appealing and so dangerous at the same time. Uh, because the prosperity gospel tells people, well, if you'll come to, quote, unquote, come to Jesus, then God will make you wealthy and he'll heal your body. They appeal to two of the most basic and universal of all human desires. Most people want to be wealthy. Yeah. And I don't know of anyone who enjoys being sick. <laughs> and they'll say, if you just come to Jesus, then you can have it. But is that the real gospel? Right. No, not at all. I mean, the real gospel is come to Jesus because you're a sinner. And because of your sin, the wrath of God abides on you. And the only way to have that wrath removed is to repent of sin and place your trust in the living Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so, you know, and then you will be saved, but in this life, you, you may not have healing, you know, you may not have prosperity. What we are promised is tribulation persecution. You know, but that's not quite as popular because <laughs> Come to Jesus because you'll be rich and you don't have to do this anymore. That's so true. what we've got is a lot of false conversions. A lot of people have responded to the prosperity gospel, but they haven't responded to the true gospel. Yeah, that's right. Well, so in session two now, um, you discuss a number of what you call mangled manifestations. Uh, and, and maybe we could talk briefly about a few of these. What are some of the spectacular claims, as you call them, uh, heavenly encounters and divine revelation knowledge? What uh, Tell us a little bit about these. Yeah, in session two, I deal with some of the more dramatic things in the faith movement, the abuse of the gift of tongues, and uh, they have a very distorted view of, of that gift. Uh, tongues was never an unintelligible gibberish. Uh, it was a known language. It just wasn't known to the one speaking it. Uh, so I deal with that um, spectacular claims. All of the faith scriptures have these wild, spectacular claims about how God is just doing incredible things through their ministry. Uh, then again, I have a video clip of him on TV and saying that, um, that you need to take your dead loved one and put him in front of TVN. Put him in front of the TV, TV that it's tuned to TVN, and even he said, even pick up the hand of your dead loved one, put it on the screen, and God will raise that person to life. 
Wow. Um, says that Jesus is going to physically appear at his crusade. Uh, God puts upon Bentley saying that God told him to kick an elderly woman in the face so that I could be, so that she could be healed. Um, Joshua Mill saying that a woman in the Arctic lost her sunglasses and she was being blinded by the reflection of the sun on the snow and, and uh, all of a sudden she caught a fish that was wearing a pair of sunglasses. God brought her a fish with a pair of sunglasses on his picture. I mean, just the, you know, the more ridiculous the better. And so that's kind of spectacular claims. And, um, I talk about being slain in the spirit. You know, we've all seen this on TV when Benny Hinn or someone else blows on someone or, you know, um, wave his coat at them and they fall backwards. You look at that. And there's no biblical precedent for that at all. Hmm. Uh, no biblical support for it whatsoever. Uh, there's no biblical uh, factors. So, well, in short, anytime someone goes down before the Lord and worship, they just voluntarily lower themselves down. They always go down face forward. But when people are slain in the spirit, they always fall backwards. Anytime somebody falls backwards in the presence of God in the Bible, it's always in judgment. So uh, that's not an experience that I would be speaking uh, after. So, yeah. Um, so some of the, some of those more dramatic things, false prophecies and things like that. And what about the occultic or demonic connection that you mentioned in this session? Yeah, the faith preachers, many of them even delve into the realm of the occult and the demonic. Uh, some of the faith preachers readily admit to talking to dead people. And Hen claims that the late faith healer Catherine Kuhlman appears to him from time to time from beyond the grave to give him direction in his own life and ministry. Uh, Jeff the Planet, I was at a meeting of his, and he actually encouraged people to get in touch with their dead loved ones. Uh, Rod Parsons done the same thing. And this is this is activity that the Bible explicitly condemns. Hmm. We should not be talking to dead people, and yet the faith preachers readily admit to doing it, and actually encourage other people to do it. And uh, so that's uh, that's if anything, that's demonic. Then it's open talking about how having out of body experiences and moving through the congregation with disembodied, then it's open moving through the congregation. Things like that. Um, some of the some of the more dramatic, like the I've been to some of these meetings, and you'll see people twitching, uh, twitching on the on the floor, like they're in the in the throes of a of an epileptic seizure, hmm. and uh, some of them barking, uh, making animal noises. This is not of God. This is demonic, it, and it's identical to the Hindu practice known as Kundalini. You look at video clips of Hindu Kundalini and look at what's going on in the world of faith business, and they're, they're identical. Hmm. They're identical. So, some bad stuff, some bad, bad juju. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <clears throat> well, so I want to move into the third session of your seminar. Um, you've entitled it The Hurt of Healing, and it touches upon what perhaps grieves me most about this movement. What does the Word of Faith movement teach about healing, and how has this um, tragically impacted the faith and lives of many who've been duped into believing it. 
Yeah, yeah, this, this is where the rubber hits the road you know, with people in their everyday lives. I mean, the, the issues that I looked at in sessions one and two are certainly more heretical from a doctrinal standpoint, but nothing is more harmful to people from a practical, you know, pastoral standpoint than what the faith preachers teach about divine physical healing. And this touches all of us, either we heal ourselves or one day we will, or we have a loved one who does. And as I said, the faith preachers teach that it is always God's will to be healed. Benny Hinn says you should never even have a toothache. Um, and of course, it's because of their Lord God's doctrine. But they teach if you do get sick, and the unlikely event you do get sick, physical healing is guaranteed as long as you have enough faith. Hmm. And so if you're not healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. You've got some secret unconfessed sin in your life. Maybe you haven't given enough money to the to the ministry. You know, you haven't sown a big enough seed, as they say. And um, so it's a, it's profoundly, profoundly unbiblical and profoundly harmful to people. Um, they will take certain passages of scripture out of context, like um, Isaiah fifty three five, by his stripes we are healed. Well, they don't read that entire passage to you. They don't look at the context of it. Okay, look at Isaiah chapter 53. The context is not physical healing. It is spiritual healing. Yeah. Not healing from sickness and disease, healing from sin. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So, you see, you've got to read the Bible in its proper context. That's what the faith preachers don't do. You know, you can take verses of Scripture out of their proper context and make the Bible say just about whatever you want it to say. Yeah. Um, so, and, and they, to see what's so insidious is that the faith preachers know this. It's not like they don't know the Bible. It's not like any man doesn't know it. He knows it. They both of them knows the Bible. They just choose to take it out of its context because they want it to fit their personal agenda. They want it to fit their their, their game and their and their feed their ministries. And the proximity preachers take the word of God, they wretch it out of its context, willingly, knowingly, and they turn it on its head. So now instead of the Bible serving as a source of strength and encouragement to the afflicted believer, it now stands in judgment over them. And so they distort the gospel, they exploit the sick, the hurting, the poor, uh, the destitute, the widows, and exploit them for financial gain, personal financial gain. You know, and I just don't know that it gets much worse than that. No, I agree. I don't think that it does. And and you know, speaking of financial gain, um, uh, a friend of mine showed me a video this morning of um, uh, I think it's Leroy Thompson or something like that and Creflo Dollar doing something called a blessing line. Um, you know, and and what I wanted to do was in in the in the video uh, overview of your seminar at your website, you quote Second Peter two which speaks of false prophets and teachers. And um, the NASB renders verse 3, in their greed they will exploit you with false words. But in this video, 
you point out how another translation renders this verse. How how is it rendered there, and and how does it apply to this movement? Yeah, in Second um, Peter two one through three, New American Standard says, "In their greed, they will false prophets arose among the people, even as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies." Uh, and there's an important important point because. Not everything that they preach is wrong. Okay, some of what Benjamin preaches is right. Some of what Joel Smyre preaches is right. Some of what Joel Osteen, yeah, very little of what Joel Osteen preaches is right. But, <laughs> but there is an element of truth there. But if that truth is mixed with error and heresy, that, that truth mixed with error that's so seductive and flies in under people's radar, so they, they secretly introduce their destructive heresy, even denying the master who bought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves. As many will follow their sensuality, because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. The truth of the gospel will be maligned. It will be distorted. And in their greed, they will exploit you in false words. King James under that says, they will make merchandise out of you. Yeah. Um, that, that is exactly what the faith pictures are doing. They are making merchandise out of sick and hurting and desperate people. And these people are multi, multi, multi millions. Yeah. They are enormously wealthy. Huge, huge ministries, huge empires, if you will. And their ministries in large part are built off of the back of the sick and the hurting and the desperate. And God is not pleased with that. The Bible has nothing good to say about those who exploit the sick, who exploit the widows, who exploit the poor. Nothing. And that is exactly what they did. Um, there are a lot of little old ladies sitting at home that can't get out to church. Their church is their television. And, you know, they send in their money to these people. There's a lot of sick people who are watching any of these faith preachers, any of them. And they'll say, sow a seed so you can reap a harvest. In other words, send me money and God will bless you. And so they do it. They have a sickness. They have a child who's sick. And they're desperate. And when it's your child, if it's your child that's sick, a lot of people will do things that under normal circumstances they would never do. But in desperation, they spend their money. Thinking God will reap. God will give them a harvest. And you know, you can look at every phrase in Second Peter two, one, two, three. Every phrase fits perfectly to what we see today in the modern posterity gospel. Every phrase. And um and I have such a burden for this because um, you know, I've lived it myself, I've I know what goes on, I've been to Benjamin Crusades, I've been to Joel Kilton meetings. Doors and skirts. I, you know, I, I go to these things and I see firsthand the, the harm that it inflicts on people. It devastates people's lives, physically, physically. There's not a day that goes by that I don't get emails from people all over the world who have told me about how they or one of their loved ones has been devastated by this news. And so I'm, I have a, just a tremendous burden by it. And I, I, it's my desire that I, that this seminar equip people to be able to, to speak the truth 
truth and love, and Paul said in Ephesians 4, 15, speak the truth, but speak it in love and, and help people out of this false truth. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you said that because this this next question that I have for you is beyond just being discerning um, and developing a familiarity with this movement's doctrines, uh, you know, and, and what the Bible teaches in contrast. Beyond all that, how can we effectively reach out to our friends, family, neighbors, um, fellow churchgoers, you know, who have unwittingly bought into this deception? What can we do? Yeah, that's an excellent question, and um, it's kind of a good news, bad news sort of deal in, in talking to other people. The bad news is, is that people who are in this movement typically are very entrenched. They, they've almost been brainwashed. And you see, Ken and Copeland and all these others, they claim to hear directly from God. And they claim that much of what they teach people, they get directly from God himself. And so if you question them, that tantamount to questioning God himself, and so a lot of people will not do that, and it's just, a lot of people, it doesn't matter what you show them, they will never be convinced that uh, their belief system is wrong, but uh, so that's the bad news, it is, it's hard to get people out of this movement, but the good news is that with men it is impossible, but not with God, all things are possible with God. The power is in the Word of God, and God's Holy Spirit working through His Word can and does bring people out of the Jesus all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also get emails um, regularly, very regularly, from people who have been brought out of the Jesus by the grace of God. And what I will tell people. If you have a friend or a family member who's in this movement, I would not automatically launch into, well, you know, the prosperity gospel is rooted in the metaphysical cults, you know, it's like they're spending Christian science, and they had a distorted Christology, and they teach that Jesus' atonement was not on the cross, but rather in hell where he had to be born again. I wouldn't launch into those kind of deep doctrinal issues because chances are they're not going to understand that anyway. But what I do with people is I begin with a few very short, clear and concise biblical examples that directly refute prosperity doctrine. And what I start with is physical healing. That's something we can all relate to. They teach us always God's will to be healed. I say, well, if that's true, then why was the Apostle Paul not healed? And I don't even have to go to St. Corinthians 12, it's born in the flesh. I flip over to Galatians chapter 4, in verse 13, Paul says, he writes to the Galatians, he says, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. I say, well, why did Paul have an illness? Mm. Um, why did Job suffer the way he did? Why did Paul tell Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach in its frequent ailments? Um, what about Moses? God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 4, verse 11, um, who is it that makes the man's mouth? Or who makes him dumb in his youth? Who makes him dumb or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Um, Elisha, in Kings 13, died of an illness. So I show them a number of biblical examples that directly refute prosperity gospel. It's a matter of biblical record. 
that not everyone who loves the Lord goes in faithfully walks in perfect health. It's just a matter of biblical record. And they, what do you do with this? You know, you, you got to do something with it. God told Moses very directly that it, it, I'm the one who makes people sick. Yeah. So um, show them some simple, clear examples that directly contradict my spirit of gospel and having confidence that the power is not in our eloquence of speech, the power is in the Word of God, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit, He's the one that will give conviction. And from there, you know, just begin a, a dialogue with them and, uh, and see what the Lord does. And I'm certainly not trying to um, tell anybody anything, but uh, happily, thankfully, I have had uh, a lot, a lot of people watch my DVD and have their eyes open. I've got a ton of scripture in there, and the Lord just honored that. And he has opened people's eyes to the dangers of its movement. I'm watching my DVD and realizing, hey, it's, it's, it's been right. And uh, it comes down to, uh, are you going to believe the prosperity gospel, or are you going to believe, believe the plain teachings of God's word? And so, uh, speak the truth to them, speak the truth in love, give them biblical examples, and uh, if you can, share them share my DVDs with them, and I'll say, hey, watch this. You know, just give it a fair shake. If you don't like it, that's fine, but just see what you think. Yeah. And, um, so... Yeah, I appreciate that. And I'm going to, uh, in a moment, ask you how they can get a hold of those DVDs. But I have one last question for you before I do. How have you come to understand the relationship between your faith and your uh, disability? How how is how is um has your perspective on um on that changed? Yes, Chris. I tell you, um, I tell people everywhere I go, in every church I go to, that that next to my salvation, my cerebral palsy is is one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given me, and I have come to know the Lord and ways through my handicap that otherwise I may never have known. Uh, experienced in ways that uh, otherwise I may never have experienced it. And it, God has used it to keep me dependent upon Him, where otherwise I might not have been. God has used it to, to um, humble me. Uh, you know, I don't believe I'd be the same person today at all if it weren't for my handicap. I don't believe I'd be in the ministry. I don't believe I'd be preaching. God is, God is used it. God, God knew that I would need cerebral palsy to do what he's called me to do. And so, um, you know, if, if I have to live the rest of my life with cerebral palsy, that's okay. I've got all of eternity to live without it. Oh, man. So, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, yeah, and I don't mean to minimize business. Is it hard? Sure. You know, is it, is it hard when we get sick or love when we get sick? Sure it is. You know, and it, it's, um, and so I don't want to minimize it. But at the same time, God's grace is sufficient. If he doesn't heal you, and by the way, I do believe God still heals people today, and it is his will to do so. But if he doesn't heal you, uh, to our listeners, I'd say please know that sometimes there's something far, far better than being physically healed, and that is not his sufficient grace. His strength made perfect in our weaknesses. And um, and for the believer, 
have the assurance knowing that this life is short. It's very, very short. And if we have to live with sickness here on this earth, you know, that very well may be the case, but hey, we've got all the eternity to live without it. So um, let's keep our eyes focused on the, on the risen Lord Jesus Christ and, and the sure hope that we have in Him. Yeah. Well, this has been very powerful. Um, I very much appreciate it. Where, where can my listeners go to learn more about you and your ministry, your seminar, and maybe get their hands on uh, that DVD that you're talking about? Sure, Chris. They can go to my website, justinpeters.org, justinpeters.org, and uh, I come into Turkey. Um, I do seminars full time. I'll go wherever I get an invitation to go. Uh, have Bible, will travel. So uh, um, they can. Find out more about me and my ministry, and they can actually uh, also order the DVD there right off my website. Great. All right, well, thanks so much, Justin. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it very much. I hope you enjoyed the interview and found it as powerful and important as I did. I think this served as an excellent introduction to the Word of Faith movement, and in future episodes, I'll be taking a more in-depth look at many of the things that we've talked about today. But first, I'm going to order Justin Peters Seminar DVD at www.justinpeters.org, and I definitely encourage you to do the same. Next episode, Lord willing, I'll be interviewing Joel Grote of the Institute for Religious Research on the topic of Mormonism. And I hope that you'll stay tuned for that. Until then, 